It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the midweek edition, the premium edition, the inner circle edition. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in parts unknown. Hello, Painter. Howdy. And, folks, we have a very special guest coming on today. The preeminent writer, podcaster, Twitter follow, expert mind for all things that happen in college sports, off the field and off the court. It's our buddy Matt Brown of Extra Points. Hello, Matt. How are we doing, hey, fellas? Thanks so much for having me back on here. I'm uh, yeah. I'm I'm doing great. I wish it was a little bit warmer up here in Chicago, but but uh, doing about as well as could be expected. Well, what's it like? What's it like in Chicago right now? Because it's starting to heat up down here. We're 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 firmly in the 80s again. Oh, so that that would be lovely. It's not even sunny yet, and it, today I think it was like 39. I'm still wearing uh. like my sheepskin jacket and like a button up when I'm going outside. I, I was an idiot. And I, I planted stuff last week, thinking like, surely it's warm enough now. To, no, no, this is the price we pay for affordable urban real estate. The weather's absolute butt. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, hopefully that'll turn around pretty quickly. And we we, yeah. we were talking before we started recording. Um, Painter and I have talked a lot on this on this podcast and in, in my writing as well about like, hey, it's the off season, and we're sitting here like, all right, let's come up with stuff to talk about. Let's come up with stuff to write about as we push forward. You don't get an off season, at least this year. It feels like you, you are you are in the middle of it right now. Um, it's just there's it just seems to be one thing after another. And this was the perfect time to have you on, Matt. And we didn't even plan it this way because yeah. we reached out to you earlier in the week, and then on Tuesday evening, uh, uh, the news comes out that uh, that Mark Emmert, uh, Public Enemy Number One, <laughs> stepping down as, as the president of the NCAA. Um, I guess to lead off of this is like, was this something that people saw coming or was this kind of like a, whoa, all right. Cause like he just got extended not too long ago, right? He, he did. You know, I have to admit the exact day was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I didn't have anything pre-written. I think I just saw it on my phone as I was pulling in from daycare and thinking like, well, there goes my evening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that he wasn't going to like serve out his term was not shocking at, within this industry. And, and, and part of that is, there's just so much enormous transformational change um, being proposed right now in Division One. You had this constitutional change mm-hmm. uh, in November that basically said every division now can do their own thing. Division One can make a bunch of completely different rules now compared to Division Three, and so now the leaders in Division One, uh, whether that's Greg Sankey or or um, athletic directors at Ohio or Washington State, and a bunch of these other presidents, are, are, you may have heard of this thing called the Transformation Committee. Where they're going mm-hmm. to sit down and say, "Okay, we're going to redraw, redo the rules for what it means to be a Division One institution, uh, what that means to comply with new court orders, what that means to uh, whether we're going to have amateurism anymore, or what amateurism means moving forward." And the number one complaint that I have heard since I started doing this from people within the college athletic world is Mark Emmert was never somebody who was able to communicate a real vision. For what he mm-hmm. wanted college sports to be, or what he wanted the NCAA to be, he was content to uh, react when the courts, or when politicians, or even when other schools said, "Actually, no, college sports should be X or Y." So it doesn't really make sense to keep the guy whose decisions ultimately got you into this mess as you're trying to draw up something completely different. Like now, it would be the time to actually go forth and try to find somebody that has some vision to shape what some of these conversations are going to look like. And so. I guess the thing with Emmert is that, you know, he 
was roundly unpopular with fans, obviously, with people in college sport. How... I don't want to dance on this dude's grave, I guess, or theoretically speaking, but, like, how unpopular was he ab- uh, among the folks that, like, make, you know, stuff happen in this in, in this entry? When you talk administrators, yeah. stuff like that, because I, I think from the fan side and maybe even from some, like, the coaching side, like, it was not, not a dude that people usually rode with. Uh, administratively, though, like, was he a guy that everybody was just like, nah, nah, not this guy? No, no, that's that's exactly it. This guy had – Mark Ember has had no friends at this point. Um, and, and he clearly did at the beginning of his tenure. And it, it's funny, if you actually go back and look at uh, some of the press reports when he was hired, we're going to write about this for Extra Points this week. Uh, he was hailed as, hey, this is somebody who's kind of a reformer. He's a mm-hmm. former university president. He speaks to the academic side really well. I, I think a good comparison in many ways is Larry Scott, who might have come yeah. in with some legitimately good or at least very different out-of-the-box ideas discovered that, wow, implementing those things is going to be harder than I thought, and then basically decided to stop communicating with anybody (laughs) except the people that signed his checks. So if you talk to conference commissioners, they hated this dude, whether that's Mm. in the Power Five or at the G5 or at the one AAA. I have not met an athletic director who was like, you know, I I think Mark Emmert actually makes some good points. Um, Many of the texts that I got from reaching out to people contain language I don't think I can say on this program. So, no, he would, I mean, I, I, my, my impulse, too, is, like, when all these fans are hating somebody, where it's like, look, my whole thing is to look at issues with nuance and try to unpack right, right, something right. and think, like, well, maybe it's more complicated. No. Like, in, in this case, really, Mark Emmert had an impossible job, but Mark Emmert also did that job very poorly. Yeah. So, I guess we move on and, and, and look at the future. I mean... I, you wrote something at Extra Points recently that referenced the Pat Forty interview with with Jack Swarbrick about like is there even going to be an NCAA or a D one or what we think of as, as as college sports as it is right now is that even going to exist in 10, 20 years? Um, I think there's a lot of people thinking like yeah the NCAA as it exists right now isn't going to be the same. So if you're looking for somebody to fill in that role, who's going to want to take that? Because it seems like you'd be stepping into something that it. Even if it's not just outright dying, it's going to look very, very different, I think, you know, uh, 10, 20 years from now. That's, uh, it, I think it's going to look different five years from now. And, okay. uh, you know, the phrase that I think that I mentioned when, when Brian Fisher, my, my podcast co-host, I talked about it earlier this week. And uh, I've had a, a couple of people say, like, you might be onto something here. It's this idea of this job might be a glass cliff. Or, um, and, and so, you, you know, there, there's the idea of a glass ceiling where uh, maybe a, a, a candidate of color or, or a woman or some other kind of minority cannot, you know, break past that ceiling because only a certain kind of person has that role. There's also something called a, a glass um, cliff where if you realize a job's a total dog and that is when you bring in somebody that you might not have otherwise hired, maybe from an underrepresented group, and they're going to fail because the job's impossible, and then you go, we'll see, that's why we're not going to do this. And 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 I think college football analysts and reformers and, and reporters will often point to this as saying, like, this is this happens all the time with black coaches, right? Like, you don't, yeah. the, 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 the team that's doing well is, is, is less likely to go, win, go grab somebody, but if you are Kansas, or if you are a hopeless job, or a gigantic rebuilding job, Maybe you're more likely to do that. That person doesn't work out because you can't win at Kansas. Move forward. So I, I think on some on on that some that kind of thinking, there's going to be some people who would do very well in this job. They're going to say this is a career killer, or this is not yeah. where I want my final gig, my lasting legacy to be. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not so much of an, like an NCAA nihilist where I think this gig is impossible, right? but you are going to get a disproportionate share of the blame relative to your own individual capacity to make the rules. And so that's obviously not going to be a good, <laughs> and you got to live in Indiana. So all of those things yeah. together mean maybe it's not the best job for everybody. If you had to like line up the resume or the qualities of, hey, this is somebody, because like you just said, you, you're not a nihilist to, to completely with the NCAA. You think somebody can actually do a decent job with this job. What what are they going to have to do? What does that person look like um, in terms, I guess, of their background or their resume? And then, like, what are they going to actually have to do? Because, yeah, it seems like you're going to step into a buzzsaw anyway. Yeah, like, this is just my personal opinion. But I think right. it would be impossible to hire somebody for this role right now that did not, right when they walked in the door, have significant credibility among the people that actually spend all of their time in athletics, which would be mm-hmm. ADs, conference leaders, and athletes. I think if you brought in a university president or a politician or some outsider that wasn't intimately familiar with this world, which is a little bit where Mark Emmer was, it's not going to work. One of the, the, the I think, problems that we as a collective have had over the last decade is that the individuals who have been most aligned with the actual decision-making power at the NCAA are generally the people that don't spend day in and day out in college sports. Um, they might spend 3 right. or 4% of their time in college sports. And then the people that actually know what's going on have to kind of funnel through that information. And that I understand the ideological reason for that. I don't think that's worked. Um, I think it would also be helpful, if possible, for this person to have some professional experience. Like I mean, like when, in professional sports. Mm. And, and I, I say that because... The amateur model that we had in like 1987, whether you are, I think, a a more of a progressive or a more traditionalist with college sports, I think we can all agree that model is not coming back. The courts aren't the courts aren't going to let you make it come back. Lawmakers, whether Democrat or Republican, don't really have any interest in protecting that anymore. So part of this job, part of reimagining what SEC sports will look like or Division One sports will look like, is what elements of vintage amateurism can we sh- safely jettison? What can we bring in from professional sports? And what do we need to still keep at arm's length away? Um, one of the reasons that I have said, I think Val Ackerman, who was the Big East commissioner, would do a really good job is you know, she used to head up the WNBA. She's been involved mm-hmm. with USA Basketball. She yeah. has been a, a major reformer and a major policy mind within college basketball, men and women. And... Um, knows both of those worlds worlds really well and is somebody that I think would be almost completely universally respected you know not 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 completely but but almost universally respected throughout throughout this industry I don't know if there's a ton of other people that can that have both the gravitas to to you know have conference commissioners listen to them and speak university president and know a little bit about what's going on on the other side of the curtain but that would be what I would be looking for here like the idea that you would say well we need is Condoleezza rice like that does not compute to me. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the one that I think is like, you know, I don't <laughs> I, I don't begrudge anybody who has to try to report on this or come up with like it's like any time a, a coach firing happens, it's like you have to come up with a list of candidates and like you want to have some that like grab attention. I just feel sure. like the, that that was the one that I was just like, ah, I mean, like you said, I don't know if a politician or someone who's been involved in politics or stuff that's not directly impacted you know, college college sports or, or pro sports in that in that regard, I think it would just be a really tough, tough thing. This is going to be an impossible question. 
before before we while we're still on the NCAA, yeah, it's gonna be sure. impossible. Let's do impossible it. question. But you said a moment ago, it's like you feel like the NCAA or college sports, amateur athletics, whatever you want to call it, it's gonna look different in five years. What do you think that looks like? And then my I guess my next question is is what do you think that looks like in twenty years? You know, are we going to a system yeah. where like when we look back we're like, man, this looks nothing like what college football, college basketball, college anything used to look like? Yeah, I mean, this is it's a tired joke, but I am going to keep making it. That like I tell folks, if I knew exactly what was going to happen, my newsletter wouldn't be eight bucks a month. It would be eight thousand <laughs> bucks a month, and I'd be doing something super different, right? Um, right. I, I I can't. So I I rather let me. If I was to imagine college sports like three years, I think there's going to yeah. be a couple of things that I feel reasonably confident will be different. One is I think there's I really do think there's going to be an option in Division One to get rid of scholarship limits for equivalency sports. Something I have heard quite a bit from SEC administrators, coaches, uh, and not just the SEC, but primarily the SEC, is we are sick and tired of all these broke boys telling us we can't give a, so- a scholarship to every one of our softball players. Um, and now that they have the money, and they're going to make God knows how much more money later, that there are people in the SEC and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten that say we want the uh, the ability to do that if we want to. Yeah. And I think that's going to happen. And what I would imagine will be all these mid-major leagues will get together and these rules will be made at the conference level. And they'll decide we can't compete with everybody in every sport, like compete for national championships. But we could pick one or two Olympic sports as a collective to say we're going to take this very seriously. So I could see a world where the Mm. SEC says – we're giving full scholarships to baseball. We're going to have 25 scholarships. Yeah. And the Big West says, us too. The Long Beach State Dirtbags are going to match you scholarship for scholarship. And then yeah. for, for gymnastics, absolutely not. Uh, and the MAC will say, we'll do that for soccer and everything else. We won't. I don't know. that We could see a world where there's two softball World Series. You know, Division yeah. I plus and, and Division I for, for, you know, Pell Grant kids, Pell Grant schools, right? The poor kids. Right. Um, and right. so that, that, I think, that's one thing that I think is possible. Um, I, wow. I, I also, yeah. yeah, like, I also think we are going to look at a world where there are actual guardrails for Division One membership. Uh, a very reoccurring refrain I've heard across all levels of college sports is D1 is too big to, add a, yeah. to, 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 to figure out any kind of policy. And it's not just how big it is between Troy and Auburn. But the gap mm-hmm. between Troy and an HBCU or Troy yep. and the University yep. of New Orleans or um, uh, a bottom level, you know, big sky team. If you got a $50 million budget and $22 million budget, the practical difference is huge. Uh, and so, but you can't just, you, you can't really say, all right, you got to have a $30 million plus budget to be D1 without getting sued or without people using Mickey Mouse math. So one thing right. that I think really could happen is they say, all right, if you want to be Division One, you must now sponsor 18 team sports uh, and raise that floor a little bit. And so we're going to see some of these smaller schools decide to do that. Quite frankly, they might actually make money doing that. And there'll be some other ones that decide, honestly, this really doesn't make sense for us anymore. Um, I don't think that's going to be a 66-team Super League, but Division One might be closer to 260 teams than 360 teams. So I know not apocalyptic, gigantic changes, but right, that, that, yeah. I think those are the kind of things we like, realistically could see relatively soon. Well, I mean, that's that's such an interesting point because I think when we talk about splitting D1, when we talk about tiers and all that, I think, especially for us, 
you know, and I, I lump myself in as, as people who cover college football uh, for a living, we like to think of it like immediately as like, oh, the group of five playoff or, you know, stuff like yeah. that. I had not considered like, oh, yeah, there's other sports where it would make even more sense to make that make that split happen. And I think basketball – like basketball is the one that kind of really gets me because, you know, it's like D1's too big. Yeah, pull up Kim Palm and look how many teams are on there, like 353. Yeah. And then like when everybody pointed out like St. Peter's – doesn't even pay all of their full their assistant coaches and they just beat Kentucky that you know is is the basketball like there's a lot of that where it's just like the gap we think of it purely I think a lot of times in football terms but man it's it's even would you say like it's even starker at some of these levels where these sports I I guess softball and baseball are perfect examples especially with some of these midweek teams that come in here to play the Auburns and the Alabamas and the the Floridas of the world I I, yeah I actually think that gap is is in many ways bigger there like if I and this is not to be pejorative or to disparage our 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 friends and listeners or maybe associated with some of these programs but the practical difference between a low major division one program and a d2 school and quite frankly in some places a Texas high school is minimal um, oh yeah. Like I, oh, yeah. I mean, like the 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 if you, were, I mean, St. Peter's athletic director told me about this. Like after they beat Kentucky, they're like, our SWA, our senior women's administrator, which you know at Auburn might be a job that pays two hundred fifty k, three hundred thousand. That person has two other jobs at St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. If you come here and you're in the marketing department, you're lining the soccer field, you are driving the bus, you are doing the laundry. Like there's just not enough bodies. And sometimes that can have an actual like public health problem if you don't have enough trainers, if you don't have yeah. uh, you know some of these other things here. So at the low major, that that's what it is. You you have schools that might play a midweek game uh, at a conference USA or, or an SEC program that may have D one under the Ken Palm banner, but are functionally pretty similar to you know West Florida or Valdosta State and yeah. how their departments actually run. Yeah, I mean there are. There are D1 programs I know of that facilities-wise can't compare to even some of the some of the high schools in the state of Alabama. I believe like, it. some really 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 big ones um, just cuz of the I mean Texas is always the easy one cuz like you can go out of Texas and be like this is a 2A school in the middle of oil country and they just all spent their money on a on a football facility. Yeah. Like, even in Alabama where you don't really have that. It's like you go to a Hoover, Auburn High is a great example of this. Some of the schools up in Huntsville in that area. It's just like Oh wow! They have, the, the joke is like that. It's like it's a college campus. It's like it's a college facility. It's like yeah, no. there are some schools that don't that don't have that. that, that that's true. And and I, to, to kind of really drive that point home, a, one of the, the staffing issues, and I've heard this at Troy. I've heard this for like Division One schools is retaining assistant staff, retaining directors of operations, and retaining oh, even yeah. sometimes head coaches for non football and basketball sports because they realize, hey, I could I could coach swimming here and make. $49,000 a year and have to deal with recruiting baloney or I could go to Hoover and be in the state like pension system and not have mm-hmm. to worry about recruiting and make and teach and you know teach English and make 90 grand uh, at, at the end of between like coaching and everything at the end or if I do some clinics and they realize oh, yeah. high school is a better quality of life like would I rather be a football coach in Alabama or Georgia or Texas or a position coach at like Kent State I'd probably rather do the high school gig at this point especially if I had a certification so like that's these are these are issues that are not in the Auburn world, but they're definitely a part of the Division One world right now. All right, for an issue that is uh, involved in the Auburn world and something that you have written about, you were saying before you started recording, it feels like every day you're having to write about this. NIL, um, NIL, obviously at Auburn has been a pretty big deal. 
they have their collective. I think Auburn has one of the greatest poster children for NIL uh, in SUNY Lee. That the fact that she was even allowed to compete yeah. in in in, uh, in in college gymnastics this year uh, as an Olympic champion is to me she is like literally the Olympic model. Literally that that's that that's it. Um, these NIL NIL collectives. It feels like every day there's something new coming out about one or news of how much money one has been raised, and there, there's all those you know uh, details of like ah this you know this this much money for a player this. What happened at Miami with the with the guy announcing the the commitment and the deal at the same time? Really straightforward question, Matt. How are these legal? <laughs> like how are okay. like how are these legal? All right. So here's a real straightforward answer. They're not, and there's no cops. So so <laughs> let me. But I guess before we talk about this, like let me let me if you'll indulge me here, break into a quick yeah. a quick spiel. Right. When we sure. talk about nil. We are really talking about two different markets. There is a one NIL market um, that matches athletes with opportunities with brands that do not care where you play. They do not care where you go to school. And the purpose of that brand deal is to derive some kind of financial benefit to the company. When I do an NIL deal for extra points and I hire an athlete to tweet about extra points or to write a newsletter, like I'm going to be honest with you guys, I do not care where they go to school. The last right. athlete I worked with was at Notre Dame. I've done multiple Michigan deals. I haven't done with Ohio State yet, and I'm a son of Columbus. That is This market is, uh, I think, is, is, Suni Lee is a great example of this. Uh, women athletes, particularly gymnasts, have um, really taken advantage of this space. This marketplace exists. It has been very beneficial to lots and lots of athletes. I will also say that market is not as big now as a lot of companies that are involved in NIL thought it was going to be last summer. And some mm. of them, for keeping it a buck, borrowed money or took on funding with the anticipation that the market was going to be much bigger, and it's not. Right. And if you all care, we can wow. talk about why the market isn't as big as people had hoped, but they, that's a different question. What we the other The other side we're seeing here, the other NIL market, which is increasingly dominated by collectives, not marketplaces, is a is let's just call this the bag band market. It is a market that is essentially laundering salaries to pl- prospective players to either come to a specific school or re- stay at a certain school, laundering it through phony uh, charity or or marketing deals that have no correlation whatsoever to actual marketability. And aren't going to be responsive to market forces because the people giving that money do not care. They only care about winning or they care about dunking on somebody in the country club uh, or, or helping their alma mater. I don't think state houses, I don't think administrators, and I don't think some of these third-party companies anticipated how much this would grow so quickly yeah. uh, and how much the secondary market would take over that first market. And what we're seeing now, and I think this is going to continue, is absent literally any kind of regulatory authority, either from the IRS, which I have written this week, has grounds to really go after some of these groups because I, I could tell you they're breaking the law. Whether yeah. that's the NCAA, whether that's the federal government or state houses, if no one's going to do anything, then there's nothing stopping you from making this as explicitly pay-to-play as you want. And there was, a, I think, a very telling quote from Wichita State's athletic director 
we wrote about this for Collegiate Sports Connect, one of our sister publications. And and uh, the gentleman's name is Boatwright. He just flat out said, like, hey, we didn't create a collective here at Wichita State. I didn't, as the AD, didn't put my energy into that because the NCAA said it's not pay for play. And so I figured it wasn't pay for play. And we spent our resources teaching athletes about how to get NIL deals and how yeah. to do contracts and embrace themselves. And our best players are now transferring to places that are offering them money. And so if that's the game we're going to play, that's the game we're going to play. Shame on me for not being ready for it, but that seems to be the status quo. Does that make sense? I, yeah, that it definitely does. I think, yeah, because I think there's this, this this perspective of NIL, and I think Auburn, you know, Auburn fans saw it last, you know, when, or I guess it was last summer or whenever this really started kicking into high gear, where it was like, hey, you know, they have a deal with these guys have a deal with the chicken finger place in town, or it was a bigger one like Bonix having like some of these statewide and even like these regional wide chains sponsoring him or right. a guy like Eculiota, who we wrote about recently at the observer uh, is in under armor ads because Auburn's an under armor school and he gets to like do the, you know, the commercial thing. That's one thing. Right. And, and I think all of us who are pro get your money kids are definitely all on board with that. And I think a lot of people, you know, grew to that. It's like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. You, name, image, and likeness, that's what it was for. Yeah, people like watching the Milo's ads, right? You, you like right. seeing somebody that you know doing Bojangles or Canes or something, and yeah. 20-year-olds can be really funny. <laughs> so, like, that, yeah. I mean, like, it's... Uh, Social it, media posts, it's, yeah. like, super easy. And, like, yeah. that was that was the thing where I was like, yeah, pro NIL, let's go do that. Like, that's awesome. When this all started, though... I, at least you would hear from schools and people on, on, on that side saying, like, look, we can't, like, NIL, like, we can't, we can't be in charge of this. We can't control this. We can't. Th-. But it feels like these collectives, though, is, is it just exploiting a gray area or is it just like, like, you, like, maybe this is kind of more what you're saying is like, they haven't stopped us yet. And so we're going to keep going until they stop us. I, I think I think that's more what it is. So let me um, yeah. let me explain a, li- a little bit about why collectives exist. This, this this might help some folks, right? One of the big challenges that I don't know if reporters or brands fully recognized about matching an athlete with a brand. For one, athletes have very little time. I know the NCAA yeah. says that playing SEC football is twenty hours a week. That's ridiculous. Like, and if you're a student at Auburn, you can't say like, "Hey, Coach Harson." I'm studying abroad in Italy. I will see you in four four months. Like that? No, that that kid just got portaled. Like you, your 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 college experience is limited. It's, it's closer to twenty hours a day, it's, more than close, twenty yeah, hours a week. Right? Like yeah. you, you you're, yeah. It's not not a super exaggeration. An Auburn football player between meetings, lifting, training, travel to, to games, and everything, you might have eight eight unscheduled hours a week. Um. Most people want to spend those playing Call of Duty or chasing girls or doing something that's not going on Instagram and pitching deals to people. Right. And um, the other thing that we found, and this is, all I think, uh, especially true in a place like Auburn, is the kind of businesses that you would imagine would benefit the most from working with an Auburn athlete. Campus bar, bookstore, um, mm-hmm. you know, local uh, retail establishment. These are people that have never advertised on the internet before generally. They don't know what CPM is. They don't know how to calculate the the success of a campaign. They don't know how to go into open doors and pitch something. Um, And they may have never had to advertise before. So that's what we call in in nerdy uh, 
you know, econ speak, well, this is an inefficient market with high barriers to entry. But so th- what the collective does is say, listen, we'll do all that stuff. We will make the phone calls to sign up the businesses. Okay. We will do the mixing and matching, and we will then go to the athletes who doesn't have to do any of that stuff and who doesn't have access to an agent and then say, here are the three companies that want to work with you for X dollars. Um, so on, on paper, that sounds great. That solves. Yeah, that, that, that definition right there is like, okay, that makes sense. Yep. It, it's a middleman. It's a middleman. It's a middleman. It's a middleman. And those do exist. The other thing is, uh, to, to kind of use our SEC example, if you own a business – you can participate in NIL by signing an athlete. But what if you don't own a business and you just want to help support somebody? Well, yep. you can't just Venmo a kid 50 bucks without potentially uh, getting him in trouble with the NCAA. Um, but with the collective, you can donate money. And then the collective takes that donated money and either you know matches that with a brand or matches that with... Uh, basically a fan club like an autograph or some exclusive content or something so the fan gets something tangible to satisfy the irs out of it too um which on paper that also sounds fine and and and, and as a way here what we have found is that these collectives vary very very differently and this is one of my concerns some of these collectives this is not an exaggeration they're literally a bunch of dudes from a message board like I want to say the TCU message board set up an LLC to do this. Tulane's message board, God God bless them, did this. They're basically just passing the hat on Venmo and hooking up a kid, which is great. You have some that are honest-to-God professional marketing agencies where the collective is trying to collect a profit and take money to put in the pockets of an executive and then you know operate like CAA or uh, you know some other large agency might. And then you have some that are kind of in this nebulous gray area. And some of the people that got into running these groups, I think, are doing it with with honest-to-God altruistic reasons. And Mm -hmm. some of them are looking at this from more personal enrichment reasons. And some of them are looking at it just as a way to, how far can I push this envelope to help the old alma mater? um, Or to help me grab power rather than money. And all of those things combined, I think, are where we're running into some of the problems. Yeah, and, and, and to be clear, Auburn has an NIL collective. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't dig in too much to it because that's not my not my ballpark usually. Um, so, you know, it, there's I know there's people who have worked with them in the past, and I know they've, they've, they've talked about it. This is, I want to be very clear, disclaimer here, Not I'm not making a judgment call about Auburn or anybody specifically. I just know there are concerns – developing in the industry yeah. with these with these collectives and it's not just hey you might be paying these guys to come or the texas a everybody was mad at texas a&m everybody's constantly mad at miami right now for 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 this stuff um is this a situation where you think that like are all is all of this going to go away or are these collectives like going to become too out of control too big too powerful that like even the good ones, even the altruistic ones, even the ones that are, like you said, honestly trying to connect businesses to players and getting everybody involved, you think it's just like, ah, you got to throw all this out uh, completely? I, I don't, I don't know for sure. And and to be honest with you, I think anybody that says they do know for sure is is not being truthful or hasn't thought about this critically. Um, there's a lot of ways this could go. I think if we have a world where some of these profits are able to effectively operate as for-profit entities, then mm-hmm. and we saw this. I think today with with Learfield's, the you know, a gigantic multimedia rights company, the one the, the people that help 
most schools sell their billboards and their radio rights and everything. There's yep. no reason why in a year or two Learfield can't say, we're just going to do our, all of our own collectives. And we're going to buy out some of the ones that exist. And we're going to bring in institutional corporate money because there's nobody on the planet that knows more about connecting college brands with, with sponsorship opportunities than we do. And they, yep. institutional money could muscle a lot of these mom and pop and, and even kind of well-fundraised entities out of the market. If Van Wagner and, and Playfly and Learfield and some of these big companies decide we want to do this. Or, or help Fanatics, which apparently has more money than God at this point, And it could yes. just kind of pick whatever you know associated industry they want to get involved in. They could do that. We could see state law or federal law change to make some of these things uh, harder. Um, we could also see uh, federal law change that says athletes are employees. And then this system of trying to fund athlete salaries via donations that we launder through third parties makes a lot less sense when Auburn says, I'm just going to cut the check. And it makes more sense for the, these collectives to transfer into booster clubs or to something else. I think there's five or six different ways this could end. Right. I, 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 I would agree and say it is accurate that there is industry concern about this. Industry concern, not just what it means for athletic directors, but honestly, some industry concern about what it means for athletes too. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know what the resolution is going to be yet. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the market for like the 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 traditional or the the basic form of nil that kind of drying up it's a conversation i had i remember when people were starting to talk about this like it was going to happen i remember david ubbin um who i used to work with at the athletic point out he's like he thought he's like there are going to be some companies that invest in this early and then realize how bad of an investment it can be or how how little of a payoff that you're going to find I didn't think it would dry up as quickly as it has, though. And, like, so how much has, has, has it kind of – because, again, big rush early on, everybody and their brother was getting a deal with, you know, to shout somebody out on Instagram. That's not happening quite as much anymore, yeah. and I didn't expect it to be that quick. So, like, what, what went into that? You said earlier that you could, you could kind of delve into that a little bit more. And I, I'm genuinely curious about why, why this market has gone the way it has. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's a couple of reasons. There was a big rush in the beginning, like last July and last August, because the people that were first to market were going to get extra earned media for those campaigns. So like, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. As, as ridiculous as this sounds now, the first brand to ever do an NIL deal with a Purdue athlete, as best as I can tell, was me. I paid a backup <laughs> offensive lineman 150 bucks to send two tweets about extra points. And I don't mind telling y'all, did I make $150 in new newsletter sales from that campaign? I sure didn't. Um, nope. I think I made about 26 bucks. But because I was first, that was in the Indianapolis Star. It was in the Fort Wayne newspaper. It was in a couple of different Purdue like fan blogs and rivals boards. And when you look at like what Ben, for me to spend 150 bucks for that kind of earned media and exposure to people know what extra points is, that was money well spent. Uh, plus, right. the, the gentleman that I worked with was uh, a, a very funny guy and a longtime uh, reader of mine. And I'm glad I got to know him. Uh, and that was true for a lot of other companies. But now there's nothing novel about this. Like if you can do a deal with somebody and it's not even going to make the, their most hardcore message board. So, so that's part of it. The other thing that I, sus- I think a lot of folks, including athletes, kind of forgot about. And this is going to sound a lot meaner than I mean it to be. <laughs> most college athletes suck at social media. Um, 
Most people do. Well, I mean, yeah, most, college most people do generally, but uh, but uh, if you look at some of the the you know, the top athletes at your school, on Twitter they're mostly retweeting their school's account, or they're they're sharing yeah. some pretty basic level highlights. It's kind of rare to find a, a college football player who's like an actual Twitter poster, and a lot of the Instagram ones are are relatively similar. And what that means is you might end up having a big following because you're a good athlete, or because you're hot. Uh, or, or, or for some kind of tertiary reason, but you might not be a very good influencer if your engagement is terrible. And what I've heard from some of these really large brands, you know, national brands that engage with influencer marketing a lot, is they'd say, look, if I got $1,000 and I give that $1,000 to a mommy blogger, I know that she is going to use the perfect lighting. She's going to send me the, the correct campaign metrics. She's going to yeah. sell the crap out of that thing because the whole mom blog internet is built in a gigantic pyramid of essential oils. And, and, and showing this kind of stuff. And God bless them. They're pros at that. And oh, then yeah. if I do that same $1,000 deal with a gymnast who's never done this before and has no time because she's a, a eight, she's taken 400-level chemistry and she's traveling to Florida and she's a gymnast, um, the campaign deliverables are going to suck. And so for you know your MasterCards, your Geico's, your big brands are going to say, I'd rather move that money into professional athletes who have agencies and, and third parties to do it for me or professional influencers and so that and, and which makes sense because it's a different gig right like being yeah. good at twitter is a different gig being good at selling yourself and doing these kind of deals is a different gig and the schools themselves and honest to god i would say op open doors and influencer and the marketplaces and a lot of these third-party companies that schools are contracting to do nil education are missing that boat completely and that's mm -hmm. part of why the social media dominated space has, has contracted or grown slower than it was expected to. Cause you can't, you really can't just look at somebody and go, you have 40,000 Instagram followers, bleep, bloop, bloop. That means your valuation is X. The math, right. it really is more complicated than that. And, 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 and I've seen yeah. apps that do that. I've seen apps that just say, you know, followers equal, this is how much money you're worth. And I even thought like, man, that's, that's a little, that's a little iffy. No, and, and part of the reason I'm so hypersensitive to this is because this is my business, right? Like yeah, I right, am right, a yeah. niche newsletter. Extra Points has 10,000 and change total subscribers. Mm -hmm. And my paid subscriber list is, you know, in the, or close to about 900 people that I, that I think that, that are on there. And if, I, if I, I sell ads, right? So if I do an ad with Harry's Razors, and I say, okay, you're going to reach this audience that's mostly male, mostly affluent, mostly educated, um, and it's 10,000 people. They're going to say, well, you know, that's not a very big audience. And so I'm not going to give you a very high CPM. I'm not going to give you right. – I can't, I can't charge Harry's Razors a ton of money. But if I went to Anthony Travel, which is a, a company that produces travel packages for athletic departments and their sporting teams, and mm -hmm. I say, hey, Anthony Travel, I got 10,000 people on my list. And 270 of them are Division One athletic directors who book travel. And you desperately want to reach those people. And one sale is enormously expensive to you. I'm charging them four figures. And they're going to buy it. And that's figuring out who is your Anthony Travel is sophisticated. It takes a lot of time. And that's something that I don't think anybody in this ecosystem is adequately preparing athletes to do right now. So I, I know that was like really in the weeds. But it's a busted market, I think, in a lot of ways. Another another follow-up I have. You mentioned earlier about collectives and like what could end them is just saying, hey, what happens when Auburn starts writing checks? What happens when it's like you're an employee now? That's always been talked about as that's how it's gonna it's gonna be like that one day. In your estimation, 
do you have any doubt that that's going to happen one day? Like, 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 is there a, is there a, is there a future where college sports still somehow hangs on to being like, we're not paying, this is not professional or, or I guess what we think of as college sports. Uh, I think it is possible. I, it's unlikely, but you know, one way that we yeah. can do that is if Congress says we're going to take a special interest in protecting that old system. And what we'll do is we'll grant the NCAA uh, a limited antitrust exemption to enforce rules, uh, limits on comp- on compensation, and we're going to give them a legal safe harbor so people can't keep suing them for antitrust grounds every six months. Um, Major League Baseball has something uh, akin to this, and there mm-hmm. are there are senators right now that would do that if you asked them to. Tommy Tuberville, incidentally enough, I think is one of those senators. Um, right. There's not enough of them right now to pass a law. It, it's, it's a weird issue that doesn't really fit neatly along Republican or Democratic lines. There are Republicans that are definitely like, I would like the NCAA to be nuked from orbit. Um, And and there are some there are plenty of Democrats who think that probably for different reasons. But theoretically, if, you know, the Republicans are likely to do well in the the next midterms. And if uh, the uh, Republican president takes over next time and you uh, you have a couple of more traditionalist cultural conservatives kind of come in there. That is that is theoretically a thing I think that could happen. Absent Washington, D.C. saying this is the way it has to be. I think that would be very, it would be very, very challenging to keep it this way. And again, the only bipartisan thing is that everybody hated Mark Emmert and thought he did a bad job. They, they, they really did. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a political guy, but it really was amazing to think I, there's very few issues where the most conservative and the most uh, progressive members of, of Congress would, would join together. You know, Marsha Blackburn's working with like the, the biggest northeastern honky liberals uh, on the NCAA sucks. You got to tear down the infractions process, kind of bills. And there's they don't even do that for name in a post office these days. The, the the fact that the Supreme Court was like swept the board and just be, and being like, nope, that's we're not we're not in favor of this. And everybody lined up to dunk on them. Like you can't get anybody to agree on anything. No, these yeah. days. Yeah, that was or that, period. That, I mean, I don't even say these days. This is period, man. Like it's it's hard to have a universal opinion on anything. And that's that was the one thing that got. I mean, it's just I know. baffling. It's a big surprise. <laughs> um, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you about with in regards to Auburn, because this, this relates to Auburn directly. So we're recording this on Wednesday night. Um, the news broke, I think it was earlier today, about uh, the Big 12, including one Gus Malzahn and the UCF Knights, uh, going the, 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 the move into the Big 12 from these AAC members and, and, and BYU and um, others. Um it's going to happen next summer. It's going to happen ahead of uh, next, not this upcoming academic year, but the one after that. So it'd be 23-24. Um, is that, does that have anything to do, or is it going to have any influence on when Texas and Oklahoma make their move to the SEC? Because that was one where it went from, it was kind of like college football playoff expansion. It went from like, it's definitely going to happen and it's going to happen quicker than you think to like, now it seems like nobody really knows anything or at least no one's saying anything definitive. Yeah. And, and we're recording this here on Wednesday evening. And the last Intel that I had about this was that some of the reports that this was definitely, definitely happening were a little bit premature. Okay. I think it's more likely than not that Cincinnati and UCF and Houston join in 2023. And the last that I heard is that the big 12 was prepared to model having, a, I think, a 14-team league for one season and then kind of shifting back or to a 10 or to a 12 and that they are they're telling people 
they are prepared to have a weird year or two where UCF has to play Texas. And how much of that is we are keeping up a brave face for the attorneys while we negotiate this exit package mm-hmm. is versus how much of that is legitimate? I, I really don't know. Um, I would not look at this news and automatically assume that it means Texas is coming in 2023. I think that would be the most elegant solution uh, yeah. for everybody. Um, just get everything, just, just, everything, just moving. get every, everything done. But I, I said this a bunch of times on, on the newsletter, the most important, the most powerful force in college sports. It's not Alabama football. It's not booster money. It's not, it's, it's not anything else. It's, it's billable hours. And it's going to be up for billable <laughs> hours to figure out the victory here, to, to figure out exactly how much money both these schools have to have to pay the Big Twelve. That's going to be a the, that's the that's the biggest factor, more so than anything that's happening with Houston and BYU or Cincinnati. When Texas and Oklahoma come into the SEC, whenever that is, do you think that I mean that'll get the SEC to sixteen? That'll make the TV package um, and then all the rights that. ESPN's paying a, just a truckload of money for. Uh, it, it's going to make the SEC really, really strong. Do you do you see anyone else countering off of that? I know conference expansions kind of your thing, and it, and and it's also what I love about Matt's stuff. By the way, is like I love all the lower tier stuff, and like as somebody who I mean I've said this before, as somebody who watched and went to more Troy football games growing up than Auburn ones. Yeah. Um, I have a soft spot for the, for the little guys and even the ones lower on, on down, but the big picture ones, do you think anybody's going to counter and just say, do you think the big 10? And I guess I'm just asking about the big 10, maybe yeah. the ACC as well. Um, Cause I think the Pac-12 is on the Island by their, uh, by their, by their own selves out there. Yeah. Do I, you see them? Do you see the countering happen to try to try to keep up with what SC, the SEC is going to have? The, those conversations I think have already happened. And the, the issue is there really isn't any move that anybody can make that would like, significantly counter a Texas and Oklahoma type like magnitude yeah. move with the one exception of the ACC getting Notre Dame, which the right. ACC would absolutely love to do. Because they don't, unlike the SEC, and unlike the Big Ten, and unlike these other leagues, they don't really they don't have a chance to dramatically increase the value of their TV deal for the rest of this decade. They had to sign a gajillion long, a gajillion year deal to get this ACC network, which ESPN didn't really want to do, and the ACC was probably six years too late on to meaningfully get uh, big money from. The Big Ten, as, as best as I understand it, held some internal meetings. I'm like, well, I mean, if we if we want Kansas, we could get them, but. That doesn't benefit this league. Like, you know, that's, no. that is that is a literal FCS quality football program right now. I don't think it will be in five years. Right now, it is worse than a, a good Missouri Valley football program. And it uh, would take money out of our pockets because it's, it's not like the Big Ten isn't on TV in Kansas City already right now. Yeah, it would make their, it would make their basketball league better. It, that's it, pretty much it. That, that that's is, pretty much that's it. Pretty right? much it yeah. right? Especially because Kansas is like secretly not that good at a bunch of other sports, and they don't sponsor some of the other sports. That's that a the Big good Ten point. You about. only hear about Kansas basketball. Yeah, and honest, honestly, just Kansas men's basketball. Just, but, that's uh, that, that's it. It's not a great baseball program. They don't have lacrosse. They don't have hockey. I, I couldn't even tell you if they have wrestling. Uh, I don't. I, if they do, it, can't, it would surprise me if they were in the caliber of some of the other high end Big Ten programs. So I don't want. I don't want to say never. But right. that, as best as I've been told, is not a significant priority among Big Ten mm-hmm. presidents or, or Pac-12 presidents right now. So I've asked you some impossible questions. I'm going to ask you a really stupid question because I don't know. Hell yeah. I, I'm, sure this is, I'm sure this is 
easily researched, and I just never have done it. The ACC, Notre Dame joining up with the ACC. It's a thing. It's been a thing for a while, I guess, when you talk about, you know, they had the, the football arrangement. They've had basketball and stuff like that for a while. As a moron, let me ask you, why was it not the Big Ten? Because regionally and rivalry-wise, it would have made a lot more sense if Notre Dame was like, we'll, we'll do the thing that we're doing here with the ACC, but do it with the Big Ten. It has never made sense to me why it's like, and, and they're good games, obviously, but it's like, we have to see Notre Dame play Clemson more than like, man, Notre Dame or Michigan, Notre Dame or Ohio State, Notre Dame or you know even Michigan State or some of these other schools. Why was that the case? And I'm sure there's an easy answer for this. Uh, well, it's not a really easy answer, but there, there, is, there are a couple of answers. Uh, one of them is that independence is unique at Notre Dame in that for many of their boosters and alumni, it is a foundational principle of the institution that extends beyond athletics. And part okay. of that, yeah, if folks, if folks aren't familiar with the, the kind of broad strokes of the story, Notre Dame would has wanted to be in the Big Ten since they started football. Michigan taught them how to play football. Notre Dame applied mm-hmm. for Big Ten membership several times around the turn of the century. The reason they didn't was because mostly in Michigan, but not exclusively, but mostly, um, Big Ten leaders are racist. And they were classist, but they were especially racist. Like, we don't want this papist institution full of Italians and Central Europeans to, to sully the, the, the University of Chicago or Michigan or, or, or these, these, these uh, secular Protestant institutions. And so that forced Notre Dame to go play nationwide, to look for games. And, and then Notre Dame then became like this big national entity, right? And, and that was mm. in large part as an FU to the Big Ten. So, you know, the Big Ten uh, really tried very hard to get Notre Dame in the 90s. Notre Dame, I I believe, their faculty actually voted in favor of doing it. And the money and the outside entities freaked out because that would, even though that would be better for Notre Dame athletically and better for Notre Dame financially, as an institution, as an identity, that would fly against Notre Dame's values. Similarly, I I would would imagine there, there, there might be, you know, Georgia and Florida have more to have more in common academically with a lot of Big Ten schools than they yeah. do many of their SEC peers. If Georgia yes. said we're going to go join the Big Ten to be with a bunch of AAU institutions and be with our true institutional peers, people would freak out as a matter of like principle, right? Like it's right. Yeah. not a one to one thing, but but that it, that is a big part of it. Plus, there's other private schools in the ACC. There's a little bit more institutional ish fit than there than there is in the Big Ten. Well, I, I, we'll wrap up with, with with some Auburn stuff, but I guess my, my question off of that is you were talking about the independence, and it makes sense. You know, Notre Dame is this preeminent Catholic institution, and I guess Boston College, you know, kind of, you know, buddied up with the ACC there. Um, you obviously have a connection to BYU. Uh, was BYU kind of the same thing as well? Because, like, I was surprised that BYU joined the Big 12 because I was like, I thought like they would have they would kind of be riding as as independents forever because that would make sense for an institution and yeah. a school that has that history oh. and, and a football or like a, even a football program having that history. Yeah, bro- brother, I mean, we could we could do forty five minutes on this. But like, <laughs> here's, here's, so, what tuning in for the uh, BYU? I, chat. I know, I know. Both Mormons in Alabama right now are like, all right, finally my time has come. <laughs> no. My high school, my high school co- computer teacher. Is, yeah, is, right. Is right? One of I know, the only listen, ones. There's four of us out there. We'll, we'll, we'll gather together. Uh, FHE at my house. No, like the, the thing is, like BYU's always really wanted to be part of a the highest profile 
athletic program they could be in. Um, mm-hmm. BYU's budget, their facilities, certainly their fan base, and on some levels their, their tradition is in line and comparable with, with Power 5 institutions. I, I think BYU's won almost, they're, they're, in, they're near the very top of the most NCAA tournament, or the most college basketball wins without ever making a Final Four. Like, they've been actually a pretty yeah. good basketball program. They've won a football national championship and a Heisman Trophy and a bunch of these other things. Um, but they are a unicorn of a school. Um, yes. You are, like, like Notre Dame, they're private, actually pretty academically selective in a weird location. And um, indivi- how can I say this, like, nicely without getting into Mormons or liberals mad at me? Um, which is the story of my life. Um <laughs> BYU as a school has made a couple of decisions that make it uh, impossible for a faculty at Stanford or Cal to want to mess around with them, uh, whether mm-hmm. that's academic freedom or LGBTQ issues or uh, the BYU's uh, extremely problematic racial history, which is uh, yeah. not quite exactly as bad as some SEC schools, but not as different as you might think. Um, right. BYU actually desegregated after some SEC institutions. Uh, as, wow. as as crazy as I did that. not know. That. Oh, bro, bro, that's that's a different podcast, man. Like, yeah. But um, don't yell at me. I'm LDS. Uh, for the, for anybody, anybody, anybody. Yeah, I guess I guess we need to make that clear. No, as well. no, yeah, I like, yeah. When I was like, Matt has a connection to BYU. I should have been like, yeah, Matt's right. Honest, these, but yes. these these are these are in many ways still my people. But yes. there, that was going independent um, because. They had really outgrown the Mountain West financially and politically and their other goals, but there weren't any other doors open to them. If the Pac-12 had taken BYU in 1992, they'd be in the Pac-12 like that. They were right. they were close to getting in the Big 12 before Baylor was. That's what they would have wanted to do. There is also something, uh, I don't care if I get yelled at for this, like very culturally about uh, American Mormons where they very desperately want to fit in. Um to okay. other institutions, whether that's academia or Hollywood or your neighborhood block party or the, these other places here. And, as, and now moving BYU into that mainstream is something that you would want, which I think is different than maybe some other religious private institutions that kind of revel in the fact that they are not assimilating. I, I don't think Liberty wants to be part of like the, 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 uh, the, the world, so to speak. They, want, they don't want to be of the world. BYU does. We know we're weird. But we would prefer if we were part of your club. I guess to to wrap this up and and, and I'll, Painter Painter, do you have any do you have any questions for Matt? You've been you've been quiet behind the scenes working here. Um, do you my, have anything? My question's a bit out of place, but inevitably through all the sliminess of this that we've talked about, because there's lots of good that has come out of it. Instead of fixing these problems, Matt, who likely becomes the boogeyman that catches blame for the issues that arise from our new system? Mm. That's a good question, man. Uh, if I want to be cynical, the, the people that, that catch blame are often going to be the athletes. There's, there, there's yep. no shortage of reactionary voices that will want to point to people, particularly when I think there's the first lawsuit or the first time somebody doesn't get the money that they thought that they were going to get, or there's some kind of miscommunication and say, well, this is what happened when you give people freedom that they're not ready for, and, and actually like, they're the bad guy. Or somebody that flat out says, I'm transferring to secure the bag, uh, and, and it kind of says the quiet part out loud, I think a lot of fans will hate that guy, even though that happens in professional sports all of the time. Uh, if there's another boogeyman out there, I don't that that uh, the authorities could kind of pinpoint. I'm I'm not sure who it is yet. I, it's probably not going to be the folks that deserve it, though. That's that's almost the universal truth in all of this. Is that the ones who deserve it usually don't get it. Yeah. Um, 
I, I was going to say last question, but now, now another one popped into my head. But okay, I'll get to the fun one. I'll do the fun one first. Extra points. One of the things I love about extra points is there's so much stuff going on uh, behind the scenes in college sports. But your your website, your newsletter has this fun little thing on the side where you can you can look at different uh, categories of posts you've had. And the one at the bottom is EA Sports College Football. It's been a minute, Matt. Do you know yeah. anything? Can you tell us anything? I can't. I can tell us. A co- I can tell you a couple of things. All um, right. So I'll, I'll preface this. The reason I have that on there is uh, I get a lot of my stories through Open Records Act uh, requests. Uh, yeah, it's great, he's the FOIA king. I, 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 well, I am, I'm like the forward, FOIA duchess or something, or like Earl. I don't know if I'm the king. I'm in the court, have though. You, quick, have you, yeah. have you had to do FOIAs with Auburn? Have you I, had I, I have, it? and you, you know what I will say? Auburn is shockingly professional, and I've had, I have nothing but good things to say about their records department. Alabama, okay. you suck. There you go. There you go. Get some get some cheap pop here, man. They suck. And the other thing here is, you know, who's like one of the absolute worst in the entire country is Troy, for reasons I don't understand. That okay. That does not surprise me. As someone who is connected with Troy and has family members who were connected with the with the uh, uh, athletic department at Troy and and you know also the university. Yep, doesn't surprise me at all whatsoever. And I'll, I'll say this: like their AD, love that dude. Like I, their their some of their their coaches, their administrative staff. Excellent, yeah. and have been have have been very accommodating and wanting to chat with me on and off the record. Records department, not so much. But anyway, um, through filing these requests is how I was able to be the, the newsletter that broke when the video game's coming out, which is mm-hmm. next summer. Um, we've been able to use those kind of tools and then build relationships at the CLC, which is the licensing arm for all of this, and right. EA Sports and some other places to, to get some ideas. So there's a couple of things I know about the game that I can share with you. Number yes. one. I wholly, completely expect this game will include actual name, image, and likeness of current college football players. I believe that will be announced su- probably by July. Uh, the, wow. the hang up there is that EA did not know who to pay, and enough schools now are partnering with uh, mostly the Brander Group, but uh, I think not exclusively, to set up group licenses for apparel. Uh, and for a couple of other projects, uh, the, what I've been told is once a critical mass of Power 5 institutions do that or D1 institutions do that, they will emerge as the bar, the licensing agent for football players mm. for the video game. So I, I do think that will happen. In the Very unlikely cool. event that it doesn't, the bad news is there will not be a um, roster editing capacity in this game. You will not be able to create a new team. You will not be able to go in there and change the, the roster or the names or the attributes for anybody currently on there. Because they don't want to get sued. Uh, because yeah. I think we all know if you do have that capacity, somebody is going to share the updated rosters for everyone within two hours. And it's like yeah. that's in the proposal. Like we're gonna we want to do this. We think we're gonna be able to do this. If we can't, then we we're gonna take away this functionality. I can I can also tell you that the expectation right now is that all of the new FCS schools are gonna be in the game. So Whoa. if you are a Jacksonville State fan, good news. Jacksonville State said they want to be in the football game. James Madison nice. will be in the, James Madison will be in the football game. Uh, Sam Houston, um, I think I think those are the the the, the three FCS ones in there. I, I don't know. If, yeah. yeah, I don't know if the stadium will be in there because that actually takes a really long time to render and is a technically complicated process. But and you wrote about that. And yeah, that's another Troy connection. That's another wow. Troy connection. That's right. Because uh, a Troy podcast now. That's my 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 dream has been fulfilled. <laughs> I can just talk about Troy. We're making magic in movie gallery stadium, baby. Yes, sir. People 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 are clamoring 
for more Detroit Trojan content. I'm I'm, I'm yes, happy sir. to oblige. Um, so I I know that they're gonna like the the logos and the historical uniforms and you know, what happens in the stance will be in the game. The only other thing that I can completely confirm is that there is going to be an ultimate team mode and that there will be, uh, you know, microtransactions or, or DLC. One thing yep. that uh, I have been told is a distinct possibility is that one DLC could be to add the rest of the SCS. Um, oh, wow. Not necessarily their stadiums, but apparently it's very easy to upload um, mascots, uniforms, fight songs, and like other IP and that is something that they could that could be done without having to do extensive campus visits. I'm told wow. some Division two schools were like, "Yo, shoot, we'll pay to be in the game." So that's that's something to keep I'd an eye sad. on. Like that's not yeah. that's not impossible. I that's pro- that, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, as some as someone who played as someone who played like back in the PS2 days, oh, yeah, when same. all the FCS teams were 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 or when it was D1 AA. Um yeah, I would, I would love, I would love to be able to play with those teams. It's okay. funny. I, I've talked to a couple of FCS ADs about this because I was a big player in that era too, and like, I mm-hmm. still play the game. I bought an Xbox during the pandemic, so like had that, had that in my office. I've got, I've got the, I've got the modded PS3 right here with, uh, with revamped on it, just sitting yeah. right by the desk. But I was joking with some ADs. Like I grew up in Bumblefart, Ohio, and went to Ohio <laughs> State. I, I didn't know anybody that went to an HBCU. So I literally knew what Morgan State was through this video game. Like, yeah. there is a, a, a non-insignificant number of people who know other schools in Division One exist because mm-hmm. of this game. And if you yep. want to reach a younger population that's increasingly divorced from actually going to the games and isn't reached by three-and-a-half-hour-long like television broadcasts, you can reach them through this. And schools yeah. are extremely excited to, to be able to do this again. It's 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 very similar, I would imagine, to the FIFA effect. Oh, yeah. How FIFA, you know, created a generation of American soccer fans, and also worldwide. But I know in America, it took off really. Well, that's awesome. I did I did not expect anything. To, like I thought you'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, we're, we're man. That's that's news right there. That's exciting that's stuff. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Subscribe this to is... the Auburn Adver- Observer, folks, and, and get, get a couple <laughs> of those things. Uh, my last question for you before we get you out of here. Um, okay, so. I'm going to put you in the mindset of somebody who might be listening to this and be like, Hey, I'm an Auburn fan. Um, I, you know, NIL, all this crazy stuff swirling around all this off the field stuff. Um, you know, I just want to know what it, when it, when it impacts the actual games and the actual stuff that I see and hear about. If you had to tell average Auburn fan, Hey, watch out for this. This might be the next big thing that might affect you or affect what uh, your school. Hmm. What would you say? Like, what would you say? Like, be paying attention to this because I think some of the stuff we've talked about is far off. I think some of this is going to be slow moving. Yeah. But then other stuff can like, you know, go in an instant. What would you tell? What would you tell a fan of a school like Auburn? Hey, you know, keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on this stuff because because it, it is it is really important. It could move quick. I I, I think for an Auburn fan in particular. What's happening in the collective space can be very important. And and I think you and I were talking about this off air, but one of the like good governance things that I think is a a real potential hazard with collectives, right? Is the the guy that ha- that controls a twenty million dollar fund that they're using either above board or below board or whatever, he even knows what the board is anymore. You got twenty million bucks that's going to, to football players and basketball players. In many ways that person becomes more powerful or at least as powerful as the athletic director. Just like yeah. we've seen in the past that there are boosters that wield more practical power than the AD. 
And the AD at a school like Auburn is somebody that has responsibility not just for football and basketball, but for gymnastics and for other sports, and uh, on some level to taxpayers in the state of Alabama, and presumably has been in, an AD or been, has experienced athletic administration for a long time. That's a skilled professional. You may disagree with their decisions, but they have some of the training needed to do that job. Somebody who, uh, to use a, a pure theoretical example, who made a lot of money selling pressurized lumber, for example, <laughs> might not have those skills. That person might just have money. And if they decide, I control the money that goes to athletes, um, they could shut that, that spigot off and, and get a, change a coach, change an AD, change athletic department directions. My concern is when you look at schools historically that have had a really hard time getting coaches and ADs and presidents and boosters in that community all going in the same direction. Those yep. schools are highly correlated with football programs and sometimes basketball programs that underachieve. The best example I could think of is University of Texas, which has more money than God, every single possible built-in advantage that you could that you could possibly want, and they get swept by BYU and Maryland. They are we have the is Texas back a, a meme because mm-hmm. they are like the fifth, fourth, or fifth best team in that league over over several years, and a big part of that is because they have not been able to actually consolidate power uh, among the, the people that, that need to do it. And that's why what, what, you know, what's the very first things that Sark has asked about when he's hired? It's about the freaking train song, man. Like, that wouldn't be a thing for Nick Saban because, like, no, like, no. This, this is guy is the god. And it's not an accident, friends, that there are multiple collectives with competing interests and sometimes are led by people who hate each other for Texas. Tennessee. That's incredible. That it's, is it's incredible. There's a, there, Texas, I think, has three. Florida State has three. Another example of a school that can't get out of its own way. Virginia Tech has more of these. That's a very fractured booster community. Tennessee. Really? Um, we'll, we'll be raised to be seeing what they're doing now because Tennessee has been very clear what they are. They are raising money to uh, to they're playing for keeps in recruiting, mm-hmm. I think, as Bud Elliott would like to say. Um, but historically, they've had major problems with this, too. And I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. If I say, like, over the course of Auburn athletics history, sometimes that's been an issue there. And so that, uh, yeah. that yeah, right, to, to be diplomatic. So that's a, that's a dynamic. <laughs> literally, the, literally the most read newsletter I've ever written is, is the whole crux of it is, is no one is on the same page. It is literally, it is that, literally that, like. That, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. And so I would look yeah. at this collective system not just as a way to, hey, what can we do to keep maybe this, this uh, generational high school football class from in, in the state of Alabama to keep some of them here, it's right. also, is this dynamic going to make our governance better or worse? And I would be probably more concerned if I was at a place like Auburn or Texas or Florida State. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Matt, uh, this went in a ton of different directions, and you handled it like a champ because you are a champ, and you are the guy to talk to about anything that's going on off the field in college sports. Um, look. Folks, we've talked about extra points before on here. I've tweeted about it. I've mentioned them in, in, in newsletters in the past. But I will say this. There would be no Auburn Observer if Matt Brown didn't pick up the phone one day and talk to me about, about newsletters and all that. So we're, I can't thank you enough for all the help you've been so far and for coming back on the podcast. You have the floor, man. Pitch <laughs> extra points because um, I know there's some people out there who are listening that would really, really enjoy uh, what you guys do over there? Uh, uh, well, I'm so I'm so glad to hear that, and I'm so glad that you decided to jump into this because this has been an enormous success too, and this is the kind of thing that I think makes college sports internet better. Like it's it's a blessing for for Auburn fans. 
what, what I can tell you, friends, is like th all of the stuff that we talked about here, this is my beat. This is my bread and butter. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you uh, who is going to be the left tackle in your recruiting class. I can't tell you if you're going to beat Georgia or, or, or what's happening here on the for breaking down basketball X's and O's. But when it comes to NIL, when it comes to conference realignment, athletic department budgets, university politics, college sports history, all of these things which we've d demonstrated really shape who's good on Saturday or not. I'm your guy. And, and that's something I've been covering really deeply for the last several years. If this is the kind of thing that you're interested in, um, you can read Extra Points for free at extrapointsmb.com. You get two newsletters a week and two podcasts a week. Uh, a paid subscription helps keep the lights on just like it does over over here uh, with, with Justin. That's eight bucks a month gets you a newsletter every single day. A lot of those are through original reporting. You can read all my, my breaking news coverage about the EA Sports video game. You can read all the CLC proposals. Everything that I know is in those newsletters. Um, and the other thing that I, I think I mentioned here is if you happen to be an Auburn student, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. If you are a grad or an undergrad at Auburn, I'll give you a subscription half off. Uh, so that's just four bucks go. a month. I do this for every college student. One of the funniest developments with extra points. This is also the thing I'm really excited about. Lots of schools use this thing as a textbook, um, which is. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, as a textbook supplement. Because like, if you're studying sports management right now, well, shoot. Yep. NIL changes every six weeks. Every single book is going to be outdated. And Sports Business Journal, a great publication. I am a proud subscriber of it is one, really expensive, and two, mm -hmm. written for 60-year-olds or professional nerds like me, which is not <laughs> a typical sports media or sports management student at Auburn or Troy or Samford or any of these places. So, like, South Carolina will say, like, all right, we're going to – you've got 45 sports management students. We're all going to buy them a copy of Extra Points. That's so going to be half off. Matt's going to come speak to our class. Um, Indiana does this. Alabama does this. So if Alabama's doing it, by God, Auburn should be doing it too, right? Like you don't you don't <laughs> want to let the Auburn, the Alabama graduate students get a, a, a superior education. Um, it's not very funny because I got a C plus from Ohio State, and I wouldn't have gotten into a couple of these schools that are using my stuff now. I was I was what they call in the biz a late bloomer. Um, but if if you are at Auburn and you think, you know, I, we'd like Matt to come by or talk to some of our students or to use this in yeah. class. Shoot me a note. I'd be happy to help take care of you and do it in a way that doesn't break the bank for your students. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. We will talk to you guys again on Monday. Painter and I will. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. No, it's, um, it's, it's my pleasure, fellas. I love talking about this stuff. I love hanging out with you guys. This is fun. Absolutely. ExtraPointsMB.com. Sign up, folks. Even, even if it's just to get on the free newsletter, it is worth being in your inbox. Trust me. All right, Painter. You good to go? Which coach tops the NHL career victory list? Uh, I have no idea. Do you know, Matt? Oh, we man. always end on a trivia question. No, I mean, guys, I'm Brazilian. I don't know anything about hockey. The we, options we have ice are in the equator. <laughs> Scott Bowman, Mike Keenan, Al Arbor, Dick Irvin. Do we feel anything tingling there? I'm going to go with C because that's what you're supposed to go if you don't know the answer. Bowman with 1,244 career victories. Unfortunately, that is not correct, but we do appreciate our guy, Matt Brown, for giving us actual information. <laughs> Ride my bike with no handlebars.
no handlebars, no handlebars. Look at me, look at me, hands in the air like it's good to be alive. But I'm a famous rapper, even when the past are all crooked. I can show you how to do si do. I can show you how to scratch a record. I can take apart the remote control, but I can almost put it back together. I can tie a knot in a cherry stem. I can tell you about Lee Erickson. I know all the words to De Colores, and I'm proud to be an American. Me and my friends are platypus. Me and my friend made a comic book, and guess how long it took? I can't do anything that I want, 'cause look, I can keep rhythm with no metronome. No metronome, no metronome, and I can see your face on the telephone, on the telephone.